Buckle up, listeners. Buckle up, listeners. This is the Nomadic C-Suite Podcast. Where globetrotting and boardroom battles go head-to-head. We've got your power trio. Mike Weston, Chase Hattie, and Ethan Bloomfield. Doing deals from sandy beaches to city streets. Smashing norms and breaking boundaries. Craving an adrenaline-fueled ride into the uncharted territories of 21st century remote leadership? Welcome aboard. This is the Nomadic C-Suite Podcast. We're not just doing business, we're redefining it. Good morning from Medellin, Colombia. My name's Chase Hattie and you are listening to the Nomadic C-Suite Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host Mike Whiston in Japan and Ethan Bloomfield in Costa Rica. And today's topic is building a portable income, setting up a career for digital nomadism. So today we're really going to talk about how to set yourself up for having a career that lends itself to working, not just remotely, but from the other side of the world, wherever you want to be, and how to do it in a way that you're still going to make meaningful progress in your career. I'm not talking about making $2,000 a month and moving to Southeast Asia. We're talking about ma- making a real career and eventually building yourself to the executive level or the highest levels of entrepreneurship. We've got a pretty well-adjusted... Before, before, before we go into that, Chase, I, I thought you lived in Bermuda. I do live in Bermuda in true digital nomad spirit. I'm spending some time <laughs> down here in Medellin, where I did used to live in 2019 and 2020, right up until COVID came along and kicked my ass out of the country. Hasn't changed <laughs> and, uh, a lot. Yeah, it has changed a lot. It really has. The area that I'm in right now, Lord Alice, for those that know Medellin, it's a beautiful area. And when I was here in 1920, it was a spot that was like, it was safe for expats, but it wasn't overridden with expats. That area is uh, an area called El Poblado. Previously, if I went into a cafe here, I might be like one of two expats in that spot. I went to a cafe yesterday and there were nine separate people sitting at different tables. And every one of those motherfuckers were gringos. So it's, yeah, <laughs> that's, it's a, that's a remote working revolution for you. It's I guess territorial though. When I'm in another country and I'm going to do something like that, I'm going out and working locally and I get a little territorial when I see other gringos. <laughs> this is my spot. What the fuck? I'm the gringo. I, I felt like that. I was like, man, what, what, what are you guys doing here? This is my spot. Medellin <laughs> is blowing up. So it's such a hot spot for digital nomadism and for good reason. I, I sat there and I had a, a great breakfast, eggs avocado salsa on toast and then like a orange juice freshly squeezed a coffee and it came to five us dollars so (laughs) it's funny (laughs) when i was getting ready to move down here we watched a lot of content like ours like this content and i followed one particular couple who initially came to costa rica and ended up in medellin and they went through an interesting plus and minuses columns and the biggest one for them in leaving costa rica was the cost. And then the second was you just can't get dressed up. There's no point in have anything nice. So if you want to go out on the town here, it's should I put on my nice flip flops? Right. And there it's a real city (laughs) and you can go out on the town and all that kind of stuff. And since then I've heard a lot of that trend about Colombia. And in fact, Chase, we'll talk about this off the air, but I'm going to be doing a vacation in August in Bogota. So Bogota, I said, but would love your your insights. Bogota. But I would love your insights on that. So let's get to it, boys. 
Yeah, let's do it. But before we get started, today I am drinking my local beer. I live in Ebenishi in Kanagawa. It's about 20 minutes outside of Yokohama, about 40 minutes outside of Tokyo in Japan. Major train hub. And there's a local beer spot called Ebena Beer. And that's what I'm drinking today, Ebena Beer's Lager. I'm drinking Costa Rica's primary export. Mm. <laughs> I support this. And I'm energizing myself with uh, like a local Colombian ingredient. <laughs> You're in med- <laughs> It starts with the letter C, and it is also coffee. Oh, oh, oh this is about to be a very different podcast. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, let's get into it. So I think a good place to start, right, is administratively setting yourself up for success. Now, Ethan, you and I have spoken about this. There's a a few different ways that you can kick off a remote working job. One of which is freelancing or being on a 1099. Or you can be an employee if your company is willing to let you work super remotely. What are your thoughts on what's the best direction to go? And what should someone really consider when they're getting into this lifestyle? How can they set themselves up for the the best opportunities as far as business administration goes? So that's a complicated question and it's super loaded and it really well, give me a simple answer there you go <laughs> you're, you're a complicated man ethan bloomfield thank you thank you i appreciate that that's a compliment <laughs> so I, I think there's a, a number of directions folks can go he, here's the world today that we live in it's now 2023 we've all been through the COVID experience, which really opened the world's eyes and employer's eyes to productivity from a remote workforce. My experience post-COVID has been, if the job is remote and you don't have even a quarterly obligation to be in a physical office, it's not even a discussion as to where you're allowed to live. They don't say, for example, you can work from home, but only in the Continental 50, right? They don't say that. They say you can work remotely, and that's the deal. It's your responsibility, though, for example, if you have to be in frequent meetings to at least let them know either the airfare is going to be more expensive if they're reimbursing it or calculated into your expenses. The second part of setting up for success, based on the way you asked the question, though, is trying to figure out, Are you a consultant and freelancer doing business with other organizations in some form or fashion? So that goes from a Fiverr freelance for five bucks thing to just having a pure consulting business where you can literally work from anywhere. I personally have done all three. Um, I moved to Costa Rica and I had my business, Vital Few Consulting, and we helped organizations throughout the world. Didn't matter where I lived ever in the entire time I owned the business. Just didn't matter. Then I became a 1099. So one client as a consultant, but full time. And I ran that through my business as well. Obviously was able to offset some expenses for tax purposes. And then the third way, which I'm doing right now is I actually work for a company as a regular employee. And because they're fully remote, they just don't care where you live as long as you meet those obligations like time of day, or coming in for periodic office meetings when necessary. So I've done all three. They all are situational. They're not just a decision to make in most cases, Chase. Most of the time, it starts with a remote job where you can work from Mm -hmm. anywhere, right? That's first and foremost. From there, the nuance of how you're doing business and are you regularly employed or not by the company is the next question. And that often depends on the type of work that you do. For best practices, especially for somebody who's lower on the totem pole, they're not going after senior level roles. If they're 
applying to companies in the US and they're American, is it smarter for them to be in America while they're applying and then make their travel plans after being hired, after working for a while? Or can they be traveling and start that process? There's no difference except for if there's an in-person interview phase, which a lot of these remote companies have also gotten rid of. But I'll tell you one of the reasons, and I think Chase, you share this, that I moved to the country I live in, Costa Rica, is because it's a three-hour flight to anywhere in the U.S., more or less five hours to anywhere in the U.S. So Mm -hmm. for me, if I needed to look at a job and they had an in-person interview, I'd just fly home, right? I'm not in Tokyo, which is a really long flight for a one-day interview. That being said, again, my advice is it really depends on the career you're in, the type of work you're doing, and the and, company. And if you are an employee, that if you really are like subjected to that specific company's policy around remote work. And that's right. I think a lot of the smaller, scrappier companies are always going to be more open-minded when it comes to putting together an offer that's going to bring on board the, the right people, especially if they're right. trying to compete with like employers that can pay a lot more money. But those employers that do want to pay a lot more money and have more market share and the bigger market cap, it seems they generally do have a little bit more tightly strung policies around remote work. I don't know if I IBM is okay with people working out of South Africa for six months of the year. Generally, Chase, regardless of size, if it's a full remote, not a hybrid remote, which is a whole new word that got invented after COVID, hybrid Mm -hmm. remote, a company like IBM or anybody else is going to say, likely no, that's not feasible, depending on where you live. So hybrid remote usually live within an hour of New York City and you go to the office once a week. That's a hybrid remote. That's not going to work for most people. Although I recently read an article, Chase, about an intern out of New York, New Jersey, who got her first post-college internship in Charlotte, North Carolina or something. And she realized because of inflation on rent that it was actually cheaper for her to fly back and forth during the hybrid work from home, which was she had to be there like two or three times a week, right? That's insane. So she she found it was cheaper by about $600 as opposed to renting two different apartments and the number of flights and her hubs and stuff, she was able to do it. So I'm going to say, Chase, my experience is if the, the question, is it full remote or not? And are you a U.S. citizen? Or, in, or resident, those things will factor in. As long as you're still a U.S. resident and you don't have to do any kind of visas to work for the U.S.-based company like you might have to do, Chase, work from home means work from home. They don't really care where home is as long as they don't have a hybrid well, policy. That, that lends itself to the next question around how you're classified, a W-2 mm-hmm. versus 1099. If you're remote work and they, they don't really care, you would understand this better than I do. But my understanding of 1099s is they can't assign you specific hours. Like you have to be able to make your own hours. It's a 1099 and it can be task oriented, but it can't be. You're working from eight o'clock to five o'clock and checking in and checking out. It's so, outcome driven. Uh, yeah. Yeah, outcome driven. Exactly. So, Except you has, couldn't even put a quota, as I understand it. And let's use that language, guys. We are not experts in tax law or neither that nor HR. We have enough to be dangerous. Um, <laughs> and, and we've dealt with this in our own businesses. So yeah. we understand that aspect of it. But uh, you know, as Ethan mentioned, 
We are absolutely not experts here. We so. have first-hand experience without being experts. That's yeah, right. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> Which is dangerous we know? in itself. <laughs> there, there are a lot of rules. The, do you know the number one class action lawsuit by employees against employers? And it's not sexual harassment. Do you know what the number one is? I would have thought it was sexual harassment. At least in your office, Ethan. I worked for Ethan. I, I was the first person to yes. file that claim. So this isn't funny and it's not a joke. We don't make light of sexual harassment. In yeah, the let's take the spot out. You're right. You're right. All right. So um, the number one uh, class action lawsuit is in the category of salespeople specifically. And it is because of exempt, non-exempt. Here's the rule. Salespeople, even if they're big ticket, are required by law to be paid hourly so that you can't tell your salespeople to work as many hours as possible. So it's a 40-hour work week at $50 an hour, let's say. That's the rule for salespeople unless they have a specific reason that requires them to do their job in person. So like true outside sales. And that's the most litigated class action lawsuit. There's a lot of rules around when somebody can be hourly non-exempt in 1099. Probably cut that way the hell back. But yes. Yeah. I think we could talk about this all day, you know, as far as, especially on the sales side, like how to manage sales teams, how to set yourself up for success as a a salesperson working remotely from the administrative side. But I think that kind of lends itself to the next question here. It's like, how can someone set themselves up to be a desirable hire? Like when they actually, they're like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to work remote. Like how do we, how does someone say themselves? I'm sorry to cut you off. We can go back to that thought. There's like a lot of noise on your side. Sounds like someone's like filing something. Yes, it's my wife riding her Peloton bike, and I don't know what to do to make it stop. It's it, it's not podcast. That's the only thing you can do, and then unpause, unmute when you're talking, and don't forget. That's it's really loud. <laughs> All right, so if, I don't know if you remember your train of thought, Chase, but if you can start over on that. Yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> All right, so let's pivot into how can people really set themselves up to be a desirable hire where they're going to not just get a remote job, but actually get paid well for it at a reputable company and build that career. My thoughts on this is I'm a big fan of the the idea of starting at a company where you can prove yourself out first before you perhaps move overseas and pursue the digital nomad lifestyle. I think there's a lot to be said for gaining some in-person trust, building relationships, showing them that you're going to kill it and that they don't want to lose you. And then you can go to wherever the fuck you want and make salary demands as if you're working out in New York or LA. But, but I'm a very so generally, how important is it to disclose that you are going to be living this digital nomad type lifestyle? Is it enough just to say I'm not in Nashville? So that that was exactly the point, Mike. It's work from home. It doesn't matter where for most companies unless there's some liability for that. She needs to fucking She looks great She doesn't need to fucking do this right now (laughs) 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 I gotta give it to podcast hosts out there Shout outs to all the podcast hosts Because organizing three people From all parts of the world To to have a coherent hour and a half slot Where there's no distractions No background noise It's incredibly hard 
I, I would I would like to also just point out that this is why the original time is perfect. It's like late enough for Ethan where nothing's going on. It's late enough for you where nothing's going Except on. Except thunder and lightning. And, <laughs> yeah, that. And then, and then for me, yeah. the house is empty. I have no kids and stuff. So it's actually the perfect fucking time. I just can't drink with you guys. But let's keep going. Let's keep going. All right. What was the mic? You're about to chime in. About what? I forgot. So Squirrel. As, as I was talking about, all right, if you, I'm a big believer in that I think a great way to go about like moving your job or career into digital nomadism is to start at a company that you already know are going to be flexible and perhaps open to this, but perhaps a company where you can really make an impact and prove yourself first and build relationships, build some in-person kind of connection time with your managers and the rest of the, your colleagues. Oh, yeah. And so then that, once you've proven yourself to be an it, asset, I it, move I over. I yep. I, I remember. <clears throat> So I guess the real question is, do you need to disclose that you are, in fact, this digital nomad living out of Tokyo and Fiji and Bora and wherever else? Do you need to disclose that? Or are you just not in Nashville? It's the right thing to disclose, I think, Mike. You should always tell your employer or your whoever's given you the contract to disclose it. But I think it really boils down to, is this full work from home? or remotely, or is this a hybrid role? Or is it in an office role? So Chase, I would agree with you. I've had a number of experiences, right? To go work for a company that had no work from home policy. It didn't exist, but I became invaluable enough to the company that when I said, hey, I really need to work from home. It's a couple hours away from the office. I'll come in every week or every other week, but I had life shit going on, to be honest. And I had the credibility like you were describing at that point. My experience today is when I hire somebody today in the current company I work for, I don't even ask them where they live or where they sleep. It's just not a question. This is a work from home job. You can be anywhere. Are you a U.S. citizen? Right. Are you taxed in the United States? Those are the questions that I need to understand. But if it's work from home, we're in an age where I haven't met most of my team. In fact, you almost met one of my teammates in person before I did, Chase, because she was coming in on a ship to Bermuda and you were going to take her out for a drink and say hello. But I've never met in person these folks. And that's the reality of the world that we live in. There's tons of headlines right now on whether this is going to change or not. We all saw Elon Musk say, come back to the office or you're out. And people had to make a decision. And I think a lot of people made the decision to be out because the highly qualified people could go to any company because they weren't returning to the office. So, Chase, I think you're right. You can go into a company, make yourself so critical to the company, you have leverage. And that can be used in your career in any way. More compensation, more flexibility, hours, leave me alone. All of the things that people want come from earning credibility as a high performer inside of an organization. But once you work from home, I think you do need to tell your employer or their HR department if it exists that, hey, I work from home. That home at this time in my life happens to be an insert name here, Belize. And I have a place down there and I'm probably just going to hunker down there for a while so that they're aware of it. But I've never had somebody notify me and say, hey, I'm going to Mexico for the next two months. It's not vacation and I'll be working the whole time. Is this a problem? It would never even cross my mind to say that's a problem. Right. The, the problem I, is when your numbers don't line up and yeah. now 
Right, exactly. And now it's a, it would be a problem if you were in Nashville for that Nashville company. If it would be a problem if you were going to the office and your Absolutely. numbers weren't freaking matching up, it's the same 100%. exact thing. And yeah, I think that's really interesting, Ethan. You talk about transparency there, being transparent with the uh, employer. And I think that's critical. And one of the questions I see the most in the Digital Nomad subreddit is people saying things like, hey, I want to go work out of Mexico or Colombia for three months. How can I hide my IP address? How can I make sure my employer doesn't know? Man, you're setting yourself up for failure, especially if you want to do this at, for any kind of you know lengthy amount of time. The only way to make it sustainable is to be upfront and honest. And just be Imagine being that person and, and not but, updating your Instagram and your Facebook for fear that your employer will see it. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. That's part of the fun of being a digital nomad is, look where I am today. There's bats flying out of this game. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> I guarantee and I want to do this. I was just going to say, I guarantee people are lying and and doing this Instagram thing. And if they probably just went to their boss, the boss would be like, I don't care. But I guarantee there's people all over the world pretending they're in Houston, Texas, and they're not. (laughs) Again, this boils back, uh, comes back to is it a startup? Is it like a 20 person company, a 30 person company, or is it IBM or Google or Apple? And it's obviously vastly different depending on the kind of company and kind of role that you're trying to work your way into. And do you have experience behind you and like a book of business if you're going into sales that you can hit the ground running? Or are you getting into something a little bit more junior where you need to really lean on them to learn the role and to build a book of business if it's sales or, or, you know, or whatever. And I think all, uh, those are huge factors that come into play. What kind of company and what kind of role you're picking. And then Mike, that segues perfectly into like our next topic here, which is how does it, you know, digital nomadism impact your career? And I think what you just mentioned there, is like, though, before we go there, we, we might want to dedicate an entire episode to the actual types of work that are that expats do people we know because i i think we talk about Mm -hmm. things like sales a lot because we understand it so well right but there's a host of other kinds of jobs quick ask for chat gpt like like business development and i'm I'm also thinking lead generation revenue growth (laughs) sales so here i I gotta say though i think if According to ChatGPT, here's the most popular jobs for American U.S. expats, educators. They go and uh, work as teachers or professors. Uh, I'm just going to comment on that. That, From my experience in just meeting Gaijin, which is the the word for a foreigner in Japan, they classified just about everybody who's not Japanese as a Gaijin, the most common job from everyone I've ever talked to is an English teacher. teacher. That is what they do. That's the most common corporate positions, often for multinational companies. This is just according to ChatGPT, non-government organizations, NGOs, and international organizations, healthcare professionals providing healthcare in certain countries, entrepreneurs. I think we fit in there. Here's how ChatGPT attacked the word digital nomad. I'm going to read it exact. With the rise of remote work, more and more U.S. expats are working in a variety of fields like IT, writing, graphic design, digital marketing from many different countries. And they're in location, independent, and use technology like computers and the Internet to perform their job. Then you have diplomats and other government workers. (laughs) And Peloton riders. Funny. (laughs) 
<laughs> about that list. So, and I, I know what you guys say we want to not talk about just salespeople all the time, but I honestly think like sales is such an underrated career for digital nomadism because it is so outcome driven. If you can make, if you can be the top salesperson in your company, no one gives a fuck about how you get that money. They just want the money through the door. And if you're doing it from South Africa or New York, those that outcome is exactly the same to their bottom line. I, I challenge uh, you a little really bit on it, this it one. It itself so well. Chase, I want to challenge you a little bit on this one. That used to be a true statement going back some number of years. As science has applied, particularly in these startup tech companies we've all worked for, one of the things we found is the same data science that's been applied to digital marketing. I think you guys know a thing or two about that, right? <laughs> the same data science mm-hmm. that's being applied to digital marketing is now being applied to sales. Unless do we say, hey, you're the number one guy. You don't have to come to meetings. Half day is fine. I don't care. Just hit your number. That world is disappearing as it moves towards more sequential selling that uses a process of proven techniques. And the reason, Chase, I see that so often is that is that it's the only way to scale. I can't scale a business because I can't repeat you, Chase, right? So right. I'm trying to find a way to build a scalable mm-hmm. business in most of my work. So I do think that's changing. I don't think you're wrong, though, however, in saying sales could be a good digital nomad career path. At the end of the day, it's what the three of us are doing the majority of our day. So there's. And I don't want to say it's a low barrier to entry, but if you have your wits about you and you're, you're, you can talk uh, very clearly and you can think a little bit outside the box, uh, you don't necessarily need this long history of, of winning in sales to get a sales job. To get a sales leadership job, absolutely. But to get a job in sales for the opportunity to prove yourself, there's all kinds of things you can negotiate for there. And a whole separate episode we could do, like you mentioned, just about this. But you, you could go in with lower salaries and higher upside, which you should always do as a salesperson anyway, get as much upside as you can. But those kinds of things, I believe, could get you into the smaller companies that don't have established this role is going to be this much pay and this is what exactly what we're looking for. The smaller companies like like so Media. I, I enjoy challenging, Chase. I'm going to challenge you briefly. You could be right, but let me ask you this question. Sure. In your business, would you hire a no experience salesperson? Yeah, I've hired... Two. <laughs> yeah, we've done it multiple times. Yeah, I've hired two. Uh, and another great uh, you know, point for sales is you can make really good money doing it once you're good at it. And Chase, I don't, those other careers of, that you mentioned, like being an educator, I don't, don't know if that pays well. It does not. What kind of products and services do you think align best for the kind of work we do? So if I was looking to be a salesperson, what kinds of products or services should I be thinking about selling either to get experience so I can make digital nomadism part of my future or just because it's the highest comp? I think SaaS yeah, obviously so makes a ton of sense. So B2B, you know, always B2B. B2B is great. Outside of sales, e-commerce can be huge. I think there's a, sale, a good sales play in e-commerce as well. But I almost feel like it's more marketing than sales. But I think as far as the career trajectory of a salesperson goes, you have to be 
it doesn't matter if you don't, you start in sales, but you have to want to be ending up in business development. The way I separate the two is sales is someone walks into a car yard and you've got a car salesman trying to get them to buy that car. And that's a one-off transaction. And they're just trying to say whatever they can to, to get their commission. Business development is building a relationship with a client where they're renewing contracts on a month-to-month basis, which first of all is great because you're getting recurring commissions. But second of all, it's a much more fulfilling job because you're actually building proper relationships and like business partnerships that really grow uh, a company's revenue over the long term. And it's, I think it's a much more enjoyable way to do work as opposed to just you know, desperately trying to <laughs> get consumers to buy your product every day. Honestly, as a digital nomad, I, I feel like that lends itself really well to you know, the conversations that you have or are able to have lends itself really really well to successful sales conversations. Being able to mention, like, yeah, I'm in Ecuador today. <laughs> today I'm working from the beach over here and just banging out a bunch of meetings. I, I feel like it gives the the, the conversation it's great chat. a little, yeah, a, a little bit more flavor. So, Mike or Chase, here's my question. This is the burning question. I, I live in Western Massachusetts. I've had a bunch of jobs. I really would like to get out and and experience the world and work from home. I just don't have a ton of life experience. What path I go on today to set myself up for that success? And give me some specific ideas, types of companies, types of jobs, roles and responsibilities. And again, in this example, I am not like a well-trained graphic designer because that's the easiest answer. Graphic designer, work from anywhere. But I'm early in my career. I really love what you guys are doing. What should I do? I love this strategy. It's something a lot of people don't think about. Most people go straight to a job board or something along those lines and start applying to jobs, which sure, go ahead, go throw your resume in on a job on job boards and apply to jobs and get your resume out there. But I've, found a lot of success in both on the sales side and just identifying opportunities regardless on sites like Crunchbase. Yeah. Go find companies that have recently raised money and are in an industry that you're interested in that are very likely going to start hiring a bunch of people to spend that money and to grow their company. And you can get in before the job postings go up. I think that's a a really solid channel that most people don't think about Crunchbase. If for anyone that doesn't know, if you go to crunchbase.com, you can do research on companies and their funding rounds and if they were acquired and who their investors are. And one of the more interesting things is you can look at who's recently raised, how much they raised, who put that money in. What if I'm a chase? What if I'm risk averse? I, I don't like the sound of the word startup, like so many people, because it doesn't lend itself to stability. Do you have any suggestions from your end? I think digital nomadism is a, a risky career choice in, in some ways, to be honest. If you want to go work at a bank or Bank of America or a Chase Bank, sure, you could get stability, but I don't think those guys are going to let you work from Columbia so I, uh, but is there a middle ground? I guess I don't I'm have a perfect for a answer ground. for that. The middle ground, I yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about that right now, and I don't know to be honest. I don't know what the middle ground for digital nomadism would be, Mike. I think the gold standard is consulting always, <laughs> but you That's have to have expert, yeah, freelance or, or, or consulting. But for the consulting side, you have to have real expertise and you have to have some type that's of not a good place advantage. to start and that, that's a horrible place to start exactly so to your question about your starting how do you get into this that's the wrong place yeah i agree with you i think this life lends itself best for anybody who has a particular skill set 
and can do freelance work and has some proven track record of doing so. So whether it's using Upworks or other sites like that, or you've got a book of clients where you do graphic design, you do video editing, you do podcast production, those areas where you have a particular skill set and you're already part of, let's call it the gig economy. So, so I think there's a great path here for people who have a particular skill who are essentially running their own business or working through the gig economy on projects. That is a fantastic work from home, work from global opportunity. I'm going to talk a bit, I think, about for me. I graduated college. I'm a smart dude. But when I graduated college, I didn't know anything, really. I didn't have a particular skill. I knew that I would go down the sales business path, maybe eventually becoming an entrepreneur. But when I was 25, 26, 28, 29, I still didn't know what I didn't know. And had I wanted to take this path at this time, I I have to question, what would I have done? And, And I think, Mike, you had a great suggestion with Crunchbase. I think there are people who are scared of new companies. So even though it's not IBM, Apple, Google, but there's something in the middle there. For me, I would go the opposite end, Mike, and I think I would spend time specifically looking at careers in an industry I'm interested in, and I think that's important for everybody, whether it's some kind of product and service that you can sell that gets your juices flowing or a company whose brand you recognize. And what I would be doing is looking for their work from home, work remote jobs as a starting point. Start with the job and the career, not start with the I want to work from home. And then find the jobs, companies, and careers that will allow you to work from home. And then go to the next step. Do they care where from home? Is this hybrid or is this full remote? That's the way I would probably work it, especially if I was earlier career and had any kind of a a risk aversion to early stage startups, which eight out of 10 times go out of business. And that's why people are scared of them. Right. Digital nomad life, it's it's very risky regardless. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> yeah, like, right, let's continue talking. Let's that keep point saying it because you guys keep saying it's risky. What is risky? I own a house in Belchertown or I own a house here. What's the difference? Well, no, I, I think I want to bring that into the, the. So I think we should start talking about just to keep, you know, within, we're, 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 within an hour on this. Yeah, yeah, the episode is getting we're, long, though. We're way over. So let, let's talk about the impact on career trajectory, right? And then we can talk because there is risk, but I think there's a few things we can talk about there. Yeah, yeah. All right. So let's say someone's successful, Ethan. What are the impacts that having a, a digital nomadic digitally nomadic career are going to have on their, let me do that again. So let's say someone's successful, wait, wait, wait. they get the job, they become a digital nomad. What pause, is the wait, impact? Wait, 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 take a pause because otherwise I can't edit it. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. So let's say someone's successful in acquiring their much desired digital nomad job. What is the impact going to be on their career trajectory? Uh, taking that step. And, and uh, you know, I'll start with something personally that I've noticed being a digital nomad is that I have definitely missed out on certain networking opportunities. And it's also taken me a lot longer to forge deep relationships with the people that I work with, as opposed to when you're in the office, sitting next to someone every day, talking shit, going out for lunch, getting coffees and whatnot, happy so hours. Chase, you don't get quick. that. Let me ask you this real quick. Is being a digital nomad working from home or is it working outside of your home country? In our case, outside of your home country. Okay. But what you just described, I'm just curious. Do you think it's any different 
for work from home from my house in Western Massachusetts um, in terms of the challenges you outlined versus being a global nomad? For me, yes. For me, I'm going to speak for myself. The conferences, the visiting clients in New York or in Boston, I'm not going, I'm not jumping on a train for 40 minutes and going to their office. I'm not going to a lot of the smaller conferences I would normally go to or the meetups or the smaller events that you really but get you, to get you, you in lived in Stanford. You lived in Stanford, Connecticut. Uh, again, I said Western Massachusetts. I'm challenging you. That's sure. three hours to the city. I don't go for a little meetup when I live in Western Massachusetts. Yes, if you live in New York City, you're obviously missing a lot of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. for me, I, I've worked in Western Massachusetts. Is there any greater challenge living here and working than living in Western Mass? Because I believe everything starts with it's got to be a work from home job. I think my biggest challenges here have been outside of the country for career trajectory are I believe my bosses know I'm not moving home. And because I'm not moving home, I'm not going to get a center of attention job. I'm not going to get the big job in that organization because that job becomes work from home hybrid. As a VP of sales, let's say, which I'm not currently, and I have been, I've been a CRO, I've been everything. But in those jobs, as COVID ended, you got to be there once a week with your teams. You got to come in for executive team meetings. So I'm going to get looked over for those opportunities within this company. And I like that we all have different perspectives, business owner, 1099 employee, W2 employee, we all have a different perspective. But I think that's probably the bigger limitation, because if I still lived in Western Massachusetts and my bosses said, hey, you got to be in Stanford once a week, I'd say, "Okay." but I get more money. I get a bigger job. Yes. Oh, okay. I'll do that. But I'm not moving from here to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what I love about that is that that example there is that kind of lends itself to the type of company that you end up working for, because you know, at Mopod, for example, where it's completely remote and the CEOs in Japan, CROs in Bermuda, where you are doesn't impact your career trajectory as far as being promoted in the company and as far as growth opportunities go. Right. Albeit it we helps. are a much smaller company. We're like, at what, like 14 people. But I think that's a, a consideration that the type of company you work for and what their policy is and how they view remote work will have a significant impact on your career trajectory if you choose to be a, a nomad long term. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have anything to add to that. (laughs) (laughs) So look, let's let's throw out some advice to our listeners. I want to talk to the early careers folks. You guys can talk to the other cohorts or groups. If your early career and your dream is to live and work outside of the U.S., here's my advice. Number one, consider the number one overseas job in the world, which is teaching English. That's a real thing to do to find yourself in another country to build skills and experience around doing that. If you have a little bit of experience or some passion or you've had some success, look for jobs that allow full work from home, not hybrid work from home. And then bring up, if you get selected, do apply, right? You should apply. Don't bring up that you live in Mexico City, right? During the course of the interview, if they like you and they want to offer a job, say, listen, does it matter to you that I spend half the year or three quarters of the year or most of my time in my apartment in Mexico City? I'm a U.S. resident. changes nothing on the taxes. Is that okay? I wouldn't do that before I applied for the job. Um, the third is... 
Make yourself indispensable. I think this is Chase's more or less idea. Make yourself a rainmaker in sales. Make yourself indispensable for the company that you work for. And once you have the leverage and understand the company and its policies, ask them how important it would be to them for you to move overseas or more importantly, just work from home. In my experience, as long as there's no tax liability or expenses to the company, as long as you're still a resident of the U.S. paying U.S. taxes in an individual state like I am, I'm a Massachusetts resident here on vacation, they do not care where you sit in my experience. I'm sure some would. I'm sure there's other rules and regulations I'm not aware of like all of us. So that's what I would do if I was early career is become a freelancer, learn how to do graphic design or teach or find companies with true work from home jobs. And then lastly, jump in, make yourself invaluable to a company and then hold it over your employer's head that if they don't let you go to live in Belize, that you're quitting. And, my tips. Yeah, and, That's the way. Playing into all that, just remember that it's while you are working, it's not vacation. While you're working, you are working. <laughs> like it, it, it's beautiful that you're working in Fiji, but you're working. <laughs> just remember that. Set aside a time to work because uh, it, 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 it doesn't play into the conversation around how you get a remote job, but it's really important for keeping that remote job. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, we can do a whole episode about that in of itself. Ethan, I think you really rounded it all off nicely. I I think I'd decide to reinforce that idea of have pursue a career if you're at that point or looking at making a career change where you will have a tangible outcome to the work that you do. In sales, it's revenue. In marketing, it's your cost per acquisition of, of a user or client, whatever it may be. I think having some really tangible outcomes to, to your job that you can point to to be like, I'm fucking awesome at this, will go a long way. I don't know about, let's say for an accountant, uh, I'm pretty sure they probably get judged more based on how often they fuck up or like how much tax they say, but it's probably a little bit harder to be like, this is what I did versus what you would have got with a, another accountant because they meant to all be playing the don't, same don't game. Don't forget, so our, our, our controller be... totally earns every penny. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> don't forget all the but programmers out I think there, in those guys jobs, who can write... Guys who can write code, women who can write code, people who can write code, you can work anywhere the hell you want, guys. You just got to choose. We've seen Unless headlines. It's bank. Not necessarily, man. Uh, so, no, like a lot of the stuff that requires like high security. It's or, either work yeah. from home or not. I don't even think the banks, whatever security, like I have a pretty secure machine right here. From my office, we take we take our security very seriously. Mutual friend of ours runs the entire show here. The computer doesn't care where I am as long as I'm on the VPN, connected to their systems, and it's got multiple layers of encryption. I'm not even sure that's true for banks anymore post-COVID. Interesting. But they are more traditional companies. And I say this as someone who has a girlfriend who's a lawyer. She can do her job from anywhere, but they're still in that mindset of they want you to be in the office. And it's gotten better over time. But I think in those traditional but kind of that's exactly like insurance, it, accounting... That's exactly it. It's hybrid hybrid remote versus true remote. If it's true remote and the company's doing it and that's their policy post-COVID, they will probably not give a shit where you live and you should disclose it once you've been offered the job. 
All right, guys, so let's wrap it up. We hope you took some actionable insights today from this episode about how to really grow a a portable income and make yourself valuable in a company to set yourself up for digital nomad success. We'll be back next week with an episode. Woo! Like I have no idea what the episode is. I can't wait. Be, I have no idea what it's going to be about. But it's going to be awesome. <laughs> so thank you from Japan. Adios. Pura vida. From Medellin. <laughs> Pura care. vida from Costa Rica.